0: Welcome to Dropping In, a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in today. This is series 11, where I have reached out and learned a little bit more about ChatGPT and and ask ChatGPT to Mercedes Nickel. Um, the reason I did this is because I realized I hadn't really shared my whole story other than in episode one. So I wanted you guys to get to know me a little bit more. I wanted to talk about my snowboard career. Uh, as you've, If you've been following along, episode 90 was early influences and beginnings. Episode 91 was mentorship and influence. Episode 92, training and preparation. Episode 93, challenges and triumphs. Episode 94 was my Olympic journey part one because I went to four Winter Olympics. I thought I'd split them up because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, this is episode 95 where you will be dropping in with me talking about my Olympic journeys number three and four. So this is part two if you are Following along, which I hope you are. Thank you. Thank you for dropping in today. Now, ChatGPT has come up with 10 more rapid fire questions for me, which I'll try and go through fast. They never are. Um, But here we go. Favorite week. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Favorite weekend activity we had last time. ChatGPT. You're just not human, are you? You mess up. That's okay. Um, Oh, no. They asked me about my weekday stuff. Okay, never mind. For your weekend activity, what's your go to activity for a relaxing weekend? I mean, I like to go have like time with my friends. So if it's like a walk in the woods or a drink at a bar, I can't say no to that. Uh, bucket list destination. If you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go first? See, I feel like this changes from day to day because I said um, bucket list was Jordan and Australia. But I'm going to Fiji on Monday. Again, I'm recording this on November 25th, 2023. Um, so one of my lists is about to be ticked off. I can't wait. Um, where in the world would you go first? Okay, I'm not doing Fiji. Um, mm, I've been to Africa. I, I still have like Jordan and... Oh, what about Croatia? I'm, I'm a hot disaster nation girl right now i create croatia as well um morning or night person <laughs> i've asked this a lot to my guests i am i want to be a morning person but i'm a night owl oh, i'm trying to break that though like if i have to get up for a sport no brainer if i have to get up to work out i won't do that <laughs> favorite season nope nope i won't answer that chat gpt what is your favorite season and why I love them all. I did live in California for a while and um the sun is amazing. I love summer um, but I do like to get like the inkling of all of the all four seasons Okay skill you want to master if you could instantly master one skill what would it be I know I know I know exactly I know exactly I, I wish I could sing I can't sing i I'm tone deaf I think that's what my dad says I like that would be. Imagine being able to sing. You have that for life. Ugh, yeah. Anyways, I'm fine. I'll be. Fine. Uh, most used app on your phone. You asked me that last time, and I said Instagram. But actually, if we like pull up the stats, there's like a thing that does that, right? Is that my phone? Oh no. <gasps> it currently says Facebook and then Instagram is in second, and then Snapchat, and then WhatsApp, and then messages, and then my health. <laughs> what am I doing? Oh, you know what I watch on, on Facebook? Um, those shorts from Taskmaster. If you haven't seen Taskmaster, it is a UK show. You can watch it on YouTube. I find it hilarious. Like If I need a good laugh, I will watch Taskmaster. Okay, that was just useless information for you. Uh, Comfort food. What's your ultimate comfort food that never fails to lift your spirits? I don't really have like a, it's not like my thing. I don't, I don't, I'm lactose intolerant. I want to say lasagna, but I can't. That will really hurt me. And I have tested it as of late. I am still lactose intolerant. Um, I'm not really like food's not like, I love food. But for comfort, a nice warm blanket. Thank you very much. <laughs> Preferred type of movie. Do you prefer watching comedies, dramas, or action movies? All of the above. Um, I'm a sucker for a Christmas movie. Hallmark, thank you. Uh, I also love action movies. Thank you, Bruce Willis. Um, and dramas. <laughs> And romance. Hello, I, I love them all. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, oh, I don't do horror. Absolutely not. No, no, no. I live alone, and I and I'm scared of the dark. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> number nine hobby you'd like to pick up if you had more free time. What hobby would you like to start? Okay, the first thing that came to my mind was like playing a guitar, <laughs> but we've already like. I'm just not. I don't. I don't understand how people can use both hands to to do that. That's like, if, if I had time, I would do that maybe. Try. Oh, it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> Kudos to everyone out there that does that and sings at the same time. Like, mind-blowing. They probably think what I do is mind-blowing blowing as well, but whatever. It is what it is. To each their own. Okay, favorite childhood memory. What's a fun memory from your childhood that always brings a smile to your face? (laughs) I'm only thinking of the bad ones. Um, And that's like my brother beating me up or calling me Jabba the Hutt. Uh, That's when I was really little. I'm fine. I'm not scarred from that at all. Um, I guess like family dinners. Okay, yeah, that's a good one because I, when we lived in Toronto, we were really young and we had these big wooden chairs and my brother and I, he would get in trouble from leaning back on his chair and we would have these giggle fits and my parents would literally send us to our rooms because we just couldn't stop giggling and those giggle fits for me moved on to like in vans on road trips and someone was like, you're like a gnome on crack and I was like... I feel like a no-one crack. I think that's what happens when I get like overtired or something. But I love me a good giggle fest and can't deny that. All right. Now we're getting into it. That was the rapid fire questions. Getting better at them. I'm getting better. Um, Let's talk about – in the last episode, uh, we talked about 2006 and 2010. Um, This episode, we're going to talk about Sochi 2014. Ouch. And uh, Pyeongchang 2018. So – Evolution of experience. Having been to previous Olympics, how did your experience at Sochi 2014 differ from your earlier games? Were there notable changes in your mindset or approach? Oh, that's a deep and inquiring question. Okay, so these games, um, I had taken each contest by contest, deciding whether I still loved it and if I wanted to compete again. And so I had learned a new trick: the backside 900. And at these games, my mental mindset was, in qualifiers, I'm doing it all. I'm laying it all out there. I wasn't going to be safe. I wanted to do um, all my hard tricks and try and get through into finals. Now, if we look back at the 2014 Winter Olympics in Socha, it was not preferable weather there either. So we've had back-to-back Olympics, which are four years apart. 2010, hot weather, 13 degrees, melting half pipe, not great for snow. They made that half pipe amazing, a thing of beauty. It came around and it was so nice. 2014, polar opposite. I mean, The halfpipe was disgusting. It was a disaster. People getting hurt left, right, and center. Um, There was so much salty snow, not salty snow, like sugary snow at the bottom. Um, You need to go fast in a pipe to perform well. And that halfpipe was not it. It was a piece. Push on to the men's um, qualifiers like guys were shooting in and out of the half pipe left right and center the walls are supposed to be straight all the way down and they were like a oh, freaking what are those chips those um, ruffles crinkled chips that's what it looked like it was like not preferable for being a snowboarder it was awful and dangerous um i remember arielle gold crashing in practice i think right before i did and she blew out her shoulder and i was like oh that is brutal, absolutely brutal. Uh, then I go in to do my last run of practice, again, trying to put everything on the table, thought I'd practice the backside 900, wanted it to be my first hit when I dropped in, dropped in and uh, the wall, the snow just like came out under me and I couldn't get my full rotation. Um, you guys have heard this story before, but I had a monumental crash that took me out Um <laughs> i clipped my hips on the my hips my I clipped my heels of my snowboard on the deck and the half pipe is 22 feet tall so i was above that and i fell um over 22 feet to my hip and my face and uh and that crash in that moment and all is was that's get up get up i got up in so much pain not knowing really what happened other than my back and my hip were throbbing. And I talk about this now and, like, I get these ghost pains in my hip from where I crashed, which one day I hope I will mentally overcome. Uh, it has dissipated because I talk about it a lot. But, like, there's a trauma there that that isn't quite out of my body yet. Um, I blazed past the doctor, went and uh, back up to the top because I knew I had, like, four minutes of practice left. The coach was standing there, wasn't going to let me go. And I was like, get the F out of my way. And uh, and he did. He moved quite quickly. And I had to use my snowboard as a crutch to get up to the top of the half pipe. I, I have a TED Talk on this story so that I don't want to like go too deep into it. Um, But it was um so sad because I wasn't able to snowboard at the best of my ability. And the mindset of that was, if I don't, <laughs> this is what I was thinking. I was like, if I don't compete. Am I a three-time Olympian? <laughs> so stupid. Um, I didn't know I was concussed at the time. I was just thinking about my back and my hip that hurt so much. Um, and I ended up competing, um, battling through the pain. Uh, outcome, not great. Crashed again. Couldn't walk on my own. It was it was awful. Um, I kind of laid it off like I thought I was okay, um, but went to... A hockey game the next night or that night. And, and, uh, I was not, I was not okay. I was filling the concussion symptoms form on a piece of paper with a pencil being like, yeah, I have a lot of these things that are happening. Anyways, <clears throat> that was a unfortunate result of a very shitty half pipe, um, which sucks. It sucks. No one was really able to perform at their, their best. At those games, I don't think because it was just a piece of work. I tell you, let's move on. That was my that was part of my Sochi Olympics. <laughs> That's okay. Um, okay, that was um, okay. is asked me challenges. Share a specific challenge you faced, and how do you navigate? How you navigated through it? How did these challenges? Cont- Tribute to personal and athletic growth. Yeah, the crash like ended up taking me out for two years um, of sport of real life. Uh, I had to learn how to walk again, talk again. I couldn't even write my own name. Uh, it was it was awful and grueling and uh, made me realize that all I really wanted back in my life was sport. Like, yeah, I partied hard, but I also. So, really missed sport and that my passion and that was my driving focus. And that's really what got me through um, my recovery is knowing what I loved and what I was passionate about once that it, it was taken away from me. Crazy. Um, standout performance. Reflect on a particular event or performance in Sochi that you consider a standout moment. What factors contributed to that success? I mean, I guess I'm proud of the fact that I Went there knowing, well, thinking that this would be my last Olympics and um, willing to get out of my comfort zone and try and put a run together that um, in qualifiers that I would be proud of. Um, It didn't shape up to be that way and uh, I didn't, I hadn't done that run in the qualifiers before I'd done it in, um, in like a finals or a semifinals. Um, So yeah, that that's probably the only like real positive I could take from that other than like the friends that I made there that we became like this amazing team Canada crew um, from the past two to three Olympics. And, uh, and I, I, I still have friends from them, Um, from this day. And I was totally like that girl that was like, had the black eye the whole time and was meeting new people. And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not. (laughs) But here I am. Um, That might've been a standout moment, having a black eye for the whole Olympics and then sitting next to Mike Babcock uh, at the closing ceremonies and him being like, what sport do you do? (laughs) I'm a snowboarder. And he's like, my kids won't be doing that. (laughs) And for those of you that don't know that's that that was the hockey team coach for Canada. So you do become this amazing um, family at the Olympics and and I think that's like got my heart through and through. I I I love all the friends that I made from different sports. It's so cool. Um Team Canada Unity. Why do I like I'm not doing this. This is ChatGPT. I didn't even read these and it's like Team Canada Unity. How did the camaraderie and unity within team Canada contribute to the overall experience in Sochi. What were the moments of collaboration that stood out to you? I just nudged on it, but I, I do, I can expand on it. Um, in Sochi, we had our own cluster and that was the mountain town. So we were kind of with the Bob's Um, I'm trying to think about it. I was super concussed hard to remember the freestyle skiers. Um, they, that was their first year in the halfpipe. Um, shout out to Sarah Burke for pushing for the halfpipe ski team to be in the Olympics. So, yeah, we were with um, the freestyle skiers and um, bobsledders, I think. I mean, I was so concussed. I'm trying to even think what it looked like and what the, like, lounge looked like. Um, <laughs> it was funny at those games. We went to a plethora of events and by that being concussed. I went to three events and at each of them ended up getting on TV. So I think everyone thought was fine. And I just had this like black eye. Um, but I was not, I went to the hockey game. Like I talked about and the camera came on us and we were cheering. We were team Canada. And then I like, Oh my gosh, I'd like put my head in between my legs. Like, that was a lot of energy. And, um, my teammates uh, were so awesome. At the games, there's like a lot of walking to done, and I couldn't walk. I had crutches, and they got me on a, <laughs> of all things, a, um, airport buggy. You know, like that you put your luggage on. That is what I was transported in in Sochi around um, the main village down down there. Um, we all come together. That's like the best thing about Team Canada is like, done competing. You're just there cheering on other athletes and. And you're just so patriotic and you are all there for the same reason. And you've all worked your butts off and you're ready to like kind of let go. And, uh, and we do, it's pretty fun. I'll tell you that for free. Okay. Let's go on to, um, um Pyeongchang or text after a gap of four years, returning to the winter Olympics in Pyeongchang must've been significant. How did your perspective and goals evolve during this period? That was a long four years of my life. Two years spent recovery, rehabbing, um, going to 14 different doctors to figure out how I could get my personality back, how I could get my energy back, how I could learn to walk again, how I could learn to snowboard again, if I could snowboard again. Uh, Such a long journey. A freaking roller coaster of emotions. uh, People understanding, people not understanding, people saying I was just being a bitch. really, really challenging times. Um, also quite lonely, um, kind of trying to hide from my parents and my family that I thought I was better than I was when in reality, looking back, like I was a dodo. Um, I left, (laughs) I left, um, my car in a parking lot, a very small parking lot in Whistler to get physio for my first time back from the Sochi games. And I couldn't remember where I parked my car. I was like, well, we should probably be driving now. You can't remember that. Uh, A lot of things happened and uh, I learned a lot. My perspectives and goals just changed completely. I wanted snowboarding back in my life. I had to stay positive. I had to keep working and chipping away at these tiny small goals to be able to achieve, um, to just get snowboarding and sport back into my life. It was a a trying time, but also, um, it gave me so many more tools that I use to this day. I, I didn't have patience before. I wasn't a good listener before. Um, and those things I, I had to become, and I also had to ask for help, um, something that I really didn't do over the course of my career. And I had to. I was not okay. I had to get to the right doctors to help me get to where I wanted to be, um, and my goals then, after two years, became: let's see if I can do this. Let's go drive ourselves out to Calgary, fourteen-hour drive, and see if I can snowboard in the half pipe again. And uh, muscle memories. I mean, it, it it all came back, and and uh, I ended up qual. Long story short, winning nationals, qualifying. Um for my fourth Winter Olympic Games, which was no easy feat. I was like out of the game for two years and competing against sixteen year olds Chloe Kim and and Maddie. And I was like, who are these who even are these kids? You know, you go away for two years and a lot changes. Um, but I had in the back of my head that I was going because I didn't want my Olympic career to end on the note that it did. Um, so there was nothing getting in my way. I was going to the next Olympics, my fourth winter Olympics. I'm very stubborn team. (laughs) Um, adapting to new challenges. Um, every Olympic games presents its unique challenges. What were the distinct challenges you encountered in Pyeongchang? How did you adapt your preparations? Yeah. So we had a new coach and I needed a little bit more help. Um, than I was getting. And so I (laughs) got to the Pyongyang Olympics and was, I, I, I love the Canadian Olympic committee. I didn't talk about this in the, in the series before, but, um, I had struggles with Canada snowboard and how they were treating their athletes. And in 2006, the Canadian Olympic committee, um, gave, we all get phones with SIM cards and, um, the, the, um, Executive director at the time said, now you guys get an allotted amount of time, but the staff get all of of the time on your phone. Like, there's no end. And then the COC came in, the Canadian Olympic Committee, for those of you that don't know that acronym. I hate acronyms, but it is what it is. Um, Came in and said, and I was like, whoa, they're putting the athletes before the staff and the, the National Sports Organization director? Amazing. I'm I'm in I'm totally in. I, think, I mean that's what kept me going back all these years. They treat athletes really really well. It's amazing. They are they are of importance. Um, and so we uh we get there and uh, I can't remember what I was going at now. What was the question? Challenges and you had to adapt with your preparations. What distinct challenges you encountered? So um in Pyeongchang why did I just talk about the phone things? <laughs> cause, cause I was like the CFC is so awesome. Um, but yeah, no, we had a lot of challenges there and, um, in Pyeongchang, the weather, but also, um, just <laughs> having not enough guidance, um, sometimes and from our staff and knowing when, what we were doing. So, in Pyeongchang, um, I, the Canadian Olympic Committee reached out to um therapist, um, Karen McNeil. And Karen um, was at Pyeongchang and I saw her in the village at, at the Canada house. And I was like, I need you. Now, if we go back to the last... So your episode, I talk about my first Olympics being like, I'm not ready. I'm ready. Uh, I don't have the tricks. Like I, I shouldn't be going. Um, these Olympics, I wanted to go, I knew I wanted to go, but again, I didn't have a run put together. Um, and I had a, a challenge working with the coach and, um, that kind of just happens sometimes. So I had no one to turn to and I turned to her and we, she's like, yeah. Uh, we'll take a walk with you and we'll go to the dining hall. I mean, I don't know why big events happen to me in the dining hall, but they do. Um, We sat down and I just started crying. I was like, I'm not, I don't know what to do. Like I'm here, but like, I'm not prepared. I I don't, (laughs) I'm not prepared. And so we kind of laid out a game plan as to what I was going to do in practice how I was going to get the trick that I wanted, which is backside 900, which I hadn't landed yet. I tried in December. We're now February. I kept taking off early. And when you take off early in the half pipe, you're going to land at the bottom. You're not going to get your full rotation. Um, so I had this hurdle to kind of overcome and knowing that I wanted to land this freaking trick in this competition. Cause I knew in the back of my head, this was my last half competition ever. Like that was it. I was done. And so she was so amazing, sat down with me. I'm crying. There's all these other athletes around. Um, I'm having a moment, and we came up with a game plan. And uh, that was a challenge that I, that I overcame, asking again, learning from my lessons, asking for help, and being okay with asking for help, um, and then talking about things. You know, not keeping it all internalized. So that was a super memorable moment for me. And now ChatGPT asked me about most memorable moment. Share the most memorable moment from Pyeongchang 2018. What made this moment sp- particularly special or significant in your Olympic journey? Well, for me, this is my gold medal moment. No, I won a gold medal at these games. But in my last run of practice, similar to my last run in Sochi, where I crashed on the backside 900. My last run of practice in Pyeongchang 2018, four years later, I landed it. I landed the trick that took me out four years ago for the first time in four years. And I just tell you, my parents were at the bottom of that I made them come and, and cheer me on. For, I was like, I promise this will be my last Olympics. Uh, that I compete at. And uh, I, I went down to them and I was just like over the moon excited. I was like, I, was, I, I forgot that I still had to compete. I was just like, oh, my gosh, I landed it. Like oh. Even to this day, I get so excited about it. It was just like monumental mental barrier um, that I had to achieve, and I achieved it, and I did it, and I was just like so proud of myself. And then I realized I had to go back up and compete. Um. Another memorable moment that um, ChatGPT hasn't asked me about is uh, how did I do at those Olympics? I, I didn't. I landed the backside nine hundred in my run, but if you like were to look at the footage from twenty ten to twenty eighteen, I don't go as big, and I do get the tricks around, um, but my amplitude isn't as big, and uh, and I think after everything that I'd done and overcome. I was pissed that I didn't make it through to the next round. Um, And I allowed myself to be mad for two days and then think back and be like, dude, you couldn't walk. You couldn't talk. You couldn't write your own name three years ago, four years ago. And you made it to the Olympics. Like not many people would persevere and try and do that. So, And I had like other athletes tell me that as well, like like that they wouldn't have come back. Um, so just it's uh, something to be really proud about, but also acknowledging that it's not always perfect and there's like, like these highs and low lows. Um, but to like reflect and think back at to how far you have come because none of us do that. We're just on to the next. What's next? I want more, more, more. Um, and I was just reading this book uh, on the plane ride the other day that just tells you like Think of all the things that you have to be happy about, and I should have, like. Yes, I'm glad I took the two days to be angry about it. But then, like that feeling of landing that trick—that's that feeling's never going to leave me. I'm so grateful that I persevered and and did that on my own. That no one can take that away from me. Let's stop thinking about all the negative, but we always think about the negative. It sucks. It's so fr- infuriating. Uh, anyways. That was my soapbox. Sorry. Uh, continued representation of Canada by Pyeongchang. You'd already represented Canada in multiple Olympics. The sense of representing your country evolve, and did it carry any c- carry added significance in 2018? Well, by 2018, I was like a crazy veteran at the Olympics. Um, I was honored to be asked to walk in the front line at those. Winter Olympics, which um you're specifically picked out to walk in the front line in opening ceremonies. Yes, there are flag bearers and they are Tessa and Scott did an amazing job. Um, but I got to stand next to Denny Morrison, uh Patrick Chan, Marie-Philippe Poulain, um, amazing, amazing athletes. And and to be honored in that line was uh something that I will cherish forever and ever and ever. Um, what was the question (laughs) how do we evolve yeah (laughs) the one thing that makes me laugh is like yes i had fourth olympics i was old um and i had a 16 year old roommate (laughs) so i was the full-on veteran um trying to kind of show the ropes to the next generation so that they didn't um come off as um naive as i was at my first winter olympics so that was that was pretty interesting and fun and uh, it's been great to see uh, elizabeth move on and actually dominate women's halfpipe right now so it's it's awesome i love it legacy considerations as you approach your fourth winter olympics as you approached your fourth winter olympics did you find yourself considering the legacy you wanted to leave behind in sport of snowboarding nope that's an easy answer. I wasn't thinking about a legacy. I was just selfishly thinking that I wanted to end on a high and not on a crash uh, for my Olympic career. I think the legacy part probably comes back when you when I retired and I had time to reflect. And I started working at, um, with part of the RBC Olympians program um, in 2015. I hadn't retired yet, but I was kind of like shaping my story as a snowboarder as I shared it with, um, employees and, um, clients of RBC and, and that kind of got me thinking a little bit of like what I'd done, but a legacy, no, I did I don't know, I don't know, it's hard to, that's hard to think about, guys. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, balance, experience, and freshness. How did you balance the experience gained from previous Olympics with maintaining a sense of freshness and excitement for Pyeongchang? That's a good question. I mean, I guess Pyeongchang just took on like a whole nother meaning in my life because I just didn't even know the years before if that was going to be possible. Um, and I kind of, I took it all in and I was just, I was kind of like sad and happy at the same time because I knew it was going to be my last games that I would compete at. Um, and I just was wanted to take every moment in that I, that I was there as well as be focused and determined on what I I was doing. And it's funny, I do talk about how the last Olympics that I competed at because, um, I never saw this coming, but I ended up applying to the Olympic 365 Athletes Program and got to go um, to my fifth Winter Olympics, which was the Youth Olympic Games um, that were in Lausanne, Switzerland. And I was at Slam Hub um, as Team Canada staff um, or Mission Team staff. And uh, I got to take care of all the bobsledders and losers that were going to the Youth Olympics. And as you guys seen in the previous episodes, I've had Natalie and um, Caitlin on the podcast that were at the Youth Olympics. Um, that I was kind of being a mentor at, which was just, you know, what? It's all super cool. And I and I hope that my, I guess it's kind of a legacy in a sense that like I can make things better for the younger generation um, and make it more understandable because. It's not that fun going in not knowing much. So I'm, I'm always happy to answer questions and and help people get in the right direction of of, of where they want to be. Um, and also giving back to the community of um, snowboarding in the essence of I sit on the Athletes Council um, and I'm currently on the Canadian Olympic Committee Athletes um, Commission. So, yeah, we're just here trying to make sport better for athletes um, because we've lived it and, We know it can be better. It can always be better. So that's what we're here to try and do. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this. I mean, I feel like I learned a lot about reminiscing of of everything that I've done in my Olympics. And I'm so grateful to everyone that supported me along the way. It was uh, a wild ride of four Winter Olympic Games. Not many can say it. I was sitting with Adam Vancouverton on the gondola in Pyeongchang. And he sat down next to me. He said, Mercedes 4 is enough. (laughs) and i was like yeah dude i think it is um but then you get billy bridges who's a phenomenon who've had on the podcast before and and his motto for me was strive for five and uh and i'm so proud of him because he's right now um in san diego at the uh, pan am games doing like the Parapan games like what a legend he just keeps going he imp- every athlete i get to talk to impresses me so much and i hope to have more on and have them impress you as well because everyone's got great stories to tell and uh, i had a blast sharing uh part two of my olympic uh, journey next up next episode life beyond snowboarding, which I kind of just touched on, but I look forward to touching on a bit more. Uh, Thank you so much for dropping in today. Uh, I am Mercedes Nickel, four-time winter Olympian. You just heard my stories if you want to chat to me, hit me up on Instagram or Facebook at dropping in with Mercedes on Twitter slash X. Uh, I don't know. I just, I'm not yet ready to call it X. I don't know. Um, <laughs> at Mercedes Nickel, N-I-C-O-L-L. And you can always swing by my website, DroppingInWithMercedes.com. Don't forget to head over to Cryer Media too. Lots more podcasts to listen to there. A little bit different than mine, but still good. Anyways, have a good day. Thank you. Thanks so much for dropping in today! You can find everything you want to know about dropping in with Mercedes at droppinginwithmercedes.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks DJ Kenosis for the music and my mom for the intro voice.